Welcome to Good Revenue, where we discuss monetization, go-to-market, and revenue growth. I'm your host, Nitha Bidway. We're here to discuss what we can do to influence more effectively, improve profitability, and sustainably grow revenue while delivering more value to customers over time. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to Good Revenue. Today, we're joined by Spencer Fox of Can Lions Advisory. Spencer talks to us about the importance of short and long-term thinking when it applies to brand building. We're entering a new phase of marketing, according to the data at Can Lions. We're coming out of the era of marketing efficiencies, the relentless pursuit of performance, and we're coming back around to strategy. As Spencer notes, to deploy creativity for growth requires a shift in strategy, decisions, culture, and capabilities. It's a heavy lift, not for the faint-hearted, but there are validated business payoffs for creative effectiveness. So let's dive in. Today, we're joined by Spencer Fox. He's the SVP business lead at Can Lions Advisory, which is recognized internationally as a champion of creative excellence. Spencer joins us to discuss insights from a recent report from Lions called Marketing Challenges, what the global marketing industry thinks about the challenges it faces and what needs to be done about them. Welcome, Spencer. Before we dive into the report, would you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to Lions Advisory? Sure. First of all, Nisa, thanks so much for having me. It's really great to be with you to talk about our survey and about um, Lions in general. Yeah, in terms of how I got here, it's been a fairly long journey, but it started in advertising. I had my my first ever job um, at a very young age, actually. I went straight from school into an ad agency as a trainee and spent about 15 years working at various London agencies, mainly on, in kind of below-the-line type projects. And then I had a period where I ran a small ad agency, took some time out after the financial crisis when you know things went a bit odd in our industry and there were lots of kind of job losses, but I took a, a year out to do an MBA. And actually after that went into consulting and specifically in corporate brand and reputation consulting. I'm on a practice for a number of years. And then literally just a year and a half ago when I was looking at what to do next, I saw this advertisement for Lions looking for somebody to lead their advisory practice that had both kind of consulting and advertising experience and appreciation for creativity. And these two, all these things came together in the kind of perfect job spec. Um, and that's how I, how I got here. Yeah, so I've been here just over a year. And as I said, I lead advisory, which is the part of the Lions business that works directly with brands to help installed the creative foundations, if you like, for creative excellence and effectiveness. Uh, what do organizations have to do to produce the type of work that, of course, wins awards, but more importantly, drives above average commercial outcomes. Which is what it is all about, ultimately, right? The balance between creative excellence and business results. Absolutely. I mean, we're marketers after all. We're not here, you know, for creativity for the sake of it. We're here create for creativity at the service of business uh, to drive commercial outcomes. And that's exactly what we're all about in advisory. The marketing challenges study was really interesting. And I thought it had some great data, which is particularly a value because, you know, Lions represents some of the strongest brands in the world. So from your perspective and maybe looking at that data, what do you think is the hardest 
part about marketing and brand building today? Is it measurement? Is it revenue? Is it something else? There are a lot of distractions, <laughs> which I think your question exemplifies in some ways. And I think the big thing is for marketers to remain strategic. Yeah, we've been through a really long period of marketing efficiencies, performance marketing, an overemphasis on the power and return of digital channels, which has led to many marketers focusing really too much, I think, on the measurement piece, because I think it can take marketers down a bit of a rabbit hole where you become tied up in really tactical metrics. And what happens is oftentimes you end up taking your eye off the strategic ball. So I think the biggest thing that we've seen, and it's be, and it's being addressed because it's come up actually two years in a row in our study, and we're, we're seeing much more emphasis on marketers now reclaiming the strategic ground and really ensuring that whatever they're doing in marketing is now strongly connected to the commercial strategic imperatives of, of the organization. So I would say the big challenge is one, remaining strategic, Two, because of that period of focusing too much on tactical metrics, re-establishing the connection between marketing and the big commercial outcomes, and re really bringing internal stakeholders back in, back into agreement around the power of marketing to drive commercial outcomes and being central to that. In the study. You noted that 92% of CMOs are finding it challenging to tie creativity to the commercial return, which is a huge number. I wanted to know, what do you think we can learn from the minority, from the 8% who are saying it is not challenging? That's a really good question. I mean, one of the challenges is the term creativity can be so wide and open to so much interpretation. When we talk about creativity, we use it as a shorthand for creative effectiveness. And even that's a shorthand, as I mentioned at the top, for work that drives above average commercial outcomes. So what can the 92 learn from the eight? I think it's really, really important from the outset to link whatever you're doing in marketing to an ambition, a commercial ambition. And one of our partners, long-term partners is AB InBev, and they've been really good at this back in 2017. They recognized they'd grown as far as they could through channels such as M&A and new product development, and they recognized growth had to come organically. And therefore, organic growth had to be through driving market penetrations of, of their existing brand portfolio. And they decided the fuel for that would be creativity. So they had a start point. They decided creativity would be the growth driver. And then they had a measure, which is market penetration and revenues, top line revenue. So for me, that's a great example of how to do it. Link your creative ambition with your overall commercial strategic intent and then, and then measure the macros, market penetration, revenue. These are the big things that the CEOs are concerned about. So these are the things that marketers need to be concerned about too. That leads into the next question, actually, because I do wonder from your data, you cited four major challenges for CMOs, the ability to win over the C-suite, connecting disparate data sources to commercial decisions, achieving alignment across disciplines, and implementing unified KPIs. So yeah. do you think that focusing on longer-term revenue goals helps marketers? And is, do you think that the cycle of short-termism is part of the problem here? 
Yes, it is. But you, you need to strike a balance. And, and we draw often on the work of Liz Binet and, and Peter Field, uh, the long and the short. Um, we weave a lot of that into the kind of advice that we give to organisations. But we, we recognise that that balance can vary within organisations according to life stage. You know, startups do need to invest much more in a me- the type of marketing that gives an immediate return. More established brands have the opportunity and the budgets and and the and the runway, if you like, to make longer term investments. But the balance is really, really important. And what's been really interesting is actually seeing that shift back to what I would call the fundamentals, really, of brand building, which is taking the longer view, building brand over the long term, recognizing it's not going to, you know, brand awareness, brand salience, brand advocacy, all, all of these different types of measures that organizations look to build over time. They're not immediate. Um, what I do like about the the update that um, Les Binet and Peter Phil made to their paper recently was recognizing actually even short-term performance marketing can work towards building brand if done in the right way. And I think that needs to be the focus actually. So let's not let's not look at these things as two kind of separate entities, if you like. You know, brand building and performance marketing sit together as part of a holistic strategy you need to work in support of each other. What do some of those brand activities look like when it is the right way? Or if you believe that there is more ROI from brand activity, what might that look like? I think it always starts with strategy. Um, One of the things that's quite interesting to us in in advisory, we quite often have clients come to us and say, oh, can you help us with some brief writing workshops? You know, some of our people really can't write briefs and it's causing problems. And my first question is, is it really the brief that's the problem? <laughs> Let's go up the chain a little bit. Do you have a distinct brand promise that's rooted in a human truth that draws on both emotional and rational drivers? Have you taken the time to develop a core creative idea that brings that brand promise to life in a, in a relevant and engaging way for the segments and audiences that you want to engage with and then have you done the work to establish what the job to be done is with your campaigns if you've got those three three things sorted your brief is going to be quite easy to write so i i always look further up the chain i you have to have your strategic foundations in place before you can write a brief brief your creatives, get them to produce you know, groundbreaking work. So I think for me, it always starts with strategy. You know, it's an interesting question too, because one of the things I was curious about is, you know, you work with really preeminent firms. So these are companies that I assume have brand trackers, they have the resources, they've done market research, they're classically trained, I'm guessing. So if they are struggling to really find the impact and then characterize it in a persuasive way, both to CEOs and to the board, in addition to defining the strategy, is there anything else that you think people should be considering that might not be top of mind? Because these are really smart people, right? I mean, this, this, this is, you know, to be the CEO of some, or sorry, to be the CMO of some of these companies is, is quite an accomplishment, so. Yeah, absolutely. And there are two things. One, one is, as I mentioned earlier, we're entering a kind of different phase of marketing. As we've come out, it's kind of marketing efficiencies, relentless pursuit of performance phase, through to actually something that's a bit bit more um, strategic uh, in nature. 
Um, and that requires a change. You know, my part of the business at Lions really works with organizations on, on creative transformation because it recognizes that to deploy creativity for growth requires a shift in strategy, in strategic decisions, culture and capabilities within organizations. So it's, it's quite a heavy lift. Chapter one, as we call it, the Creative Foundations, starts with the business case for creativity. So this is drawing on the multiple sources out there now. I mentioned Ben Enfield, but uh, McKinsey's did a study of Lions award-winning data spanning 14 years. They analyzed Lions winning work versus work that was submitted but didn't win. They were able to conclude that Lions winning work was seven times more creatively effective than non-winning work. So there is a business case. Invest in great creativity, it gives you seven times a return of work that's not award-winning. So it starts with the business case. We draw on lots of different sources, our own sources, the McKinsey study, Binet and Field, uh, the work of the IPA. Um, we put together in kind of really quite corporate, almost CFO-type language, the reason why companies need to invest in creativity and it's a really good first point, actually. So we will support the CMO. We'll go into organizations, present this business case to the rest of the C-suite and, and any other kind of departments that need to really understand why creativity is important so to sales, new product development, those type of organizations. That's stage one. And once you've got your organization behind the concept and how great creativity is, it then gets easier to kind of deploy the other elements that you need to change, like capabilities building, shifts in culture, changes in processes and, and systems. That first piece is key to kind of oiling the wheels for, for all that follows. How do CFOs respond to the business case that you're helping to build? Because I think that's a really great strategy internally. How is that going? Yeah, it, it goes well. The hardest thing is is getting in the door. You know, with with CFOs, as you can imagine, you know, you, yeah. we, we're we're lions, we're the home of creativity. Yeah, it's yeah. So what? <laughs> CMO CMOs love us. CFOs either just have never heard of us, don't right. care about us, don't want to hear from us. So yeah, we, we kind of have to find our way in, and we have to we do we have to kind of earn our space. Um, we do that with the CMO. Obviously, we're we're there to support the CMO, and as I've mentioned, there's such great evidence now. So we're able to go in with solid metrics on you know, the type of investments and returns that can come from elevating and improving creativity within an organization. So I would say the hardest thing is getting in front of them. Once we're in, in front, the evidence is so powerful, it becomes an easier ride from that point. That is encouraging. Is there anything else on creative excellence that you might share before we pivot and talk a little bit more about data? Yeah, I, I would say it feels like a big lift, you know, when we talk to organizations. And I think because often we're talking the language of creative transformation, as a lot of organizations are at the moment, and that can sound big and unwieldy and difficult to manage. I would say, actually, it comes down to some really kind of distinct things that need to be done. As I mentioned, the foundations, getting the business case set within the organizations so that you know, your colleagues on on the board and the execs and the leaderships teams are, are willing to make the investment, not necessarily financial, but certainly in terms of their time and decision-making in creativity. We also do a lot of work around benchmarking work, 
showing what the possibilities are so that that kind of foundational piece is key. And then the second piece is, you know, we, culture sounds big. You know, when you talk about cultural shift, people go, whoa, <laughs> that's enormous. But we, again, we talk about culture as being the sum part of the behaviors of everybody within your organization and the CMO has control over the marketing organization. So you can build a great creative culture just by influencing the behaviors of everybody within your org. And we do that through our capabilities program. Build capabilities, add some inspiration through access to case studies, case videos, great campaigns, best in class videos, and all the type of stuff that we have in our library called the work, love the work. And again, it just makes it easier to handle and, and, and digest. So yeah, I would say creative excellence, chapter one, the business case, chapter two, building the culture and capabilities. And then chapter three is just m maintaining the momentum. Like, what do you do to ensure that people remain engaged in the topic, motivated to do their very best work, you're inspired? And again, that comes down to kind of, we do like lunch and learn sessions, ignite inspiration sessions. And again, it's just drawing on our, our archive of our library, the work best-in-class cases, all the great case videos that come through every year at Canlines, uh, that just main maintain the interest, maintain the motivation, keep people inspired and engaged. That makes a lot of sense. One of the other topics I wanted to talk about was around um, data and efficacy. You had a quote I really loved, and it was, data soup, too much, too little, <laughs> the wrong sort, poor quality, which I thought was a great way to describe the data reality for most companies that I've been in or worked with. And uh, you know, I think the topic of attribution comes up all the time. The report notes this as well. What is your recommendation to CMOs, aside from a little bit of what we've talked about earlier, which is hopefully we are pivoting away from the excessive, um, uh, you know, track everything, measure everything. What do you suggest CMOs do today with all that data that they do have? I love that data soup, doesn't it? Just isn't it the most descriptive. Term? It was very evocative. I really enjoyed that <laughs> quote. That's what we all face, like that overload of data. You know, sort of. But analysis paralysis is the other one, isn't it? You know, there's just so much to look at. And again, I kind of go back to the very beginning, which is, you know, I think as marketers, we have to look up, not down. You know, what are the macros that we're chasing and how do they align with what the business is looking to achieve? And I think when that's your start point, you're then able to look at its market penetration or its revenue or its margin. It's, it's one of the one of the big ones, you know. I think too often we've looked down and look look at what we've got and then now let's try and make sense of it. There's a space for that. But leave that to the the researchers and the analysts <laughs> to to crunch and develop the insights that that gives you. But I think the measurement piece has to be strategic. And I think as long as as long as marketers do that, they're remaining linked to business outcomes. They maintain their credibility with the CEO and the CFO, and the whole thing just works better. Your study also noted something that I've found to be true in my experience, and I the, the quote was. In general, channel usage is strongly correlated with the ability to evaluate it. And if marketers can't show the return generated by a channel, they're less likely to use it, which again, seems to be true. So high evaluation and high usage go together. Do you think that marketers are limiting themselves to the broader opportunities because they are avoiding channels that are harder to measure? And do you think the answer is better measurement? Is it making a different case to the board 
to the CFO, the CEO, other stakeholders, where, where do we, where should we go from there? Because that is a very tricky problem. I, mean, I, I think there's space for all of this. I, I, I think, of course, some campaigns are all about immediate return. Okay, you know, sometimes brands are running campaigns to generate a an immediate response. Yeah, and therefore, performance marketing is key. And as we know, kind of anything online, social, digital, that's highly measurable in that regard is fantastic. What's been really encouraging is actually just seeing the shift and, and literally just year to year at Can Lions in type in terms of the types of campaigns that are winning. One of my favorite campaigns from this year was a campaign by a, a small telecoms company in New Zealand called Skinny. And it's it had a tiny market share. It was kind of really trying to find its way in this cluttered market dominated by incumbents. And it developed this fantastic campaign that used only billboards and radio. So like what we would call traditional media. And what was wonderful was the commentary in the judges' room about how innovative this combination was and how innovative their use of these two media was in the campaign. And I kind of just, you know, I'm 50 years old, so I kind of, I remember when that was standard and like to hear it call, be called innovative today was just like quite heartwarming, really. But what was fantastic about that campaign was it drove huge market penetration growth for that brand. So they got a measurable outcome, which was fairly immediate. They were tracking kind of downloads of the app. Um, they were tracking signups in real time. So the moment that campaign broke, they started seeing the, the response levels. So I would say you can measure all channels. It just, you sometimes have to get a little bit creative. You know, with the billboards and the radio, they were measuring app downloads, whereas with, obviously on, on social, you can measure number of click-throughs, um, et cetera. So I, I would say we're seeing a shift back to a much more kind of mixed channel model. And also we're seeing um, brands just get more creative with, they, with the way they measure those channels. You think in addition to measurement, part of the report was talking a little bit about the opportunity of technology. And I find something similar to your data soup comment in the reality of there is a lot of technology. And um, I think many marketers and um, chief revenue officers have questions about the efficacy of that technology. Do you have any recommendations for how you think CMOs um, and their colleagues should think about the technology that actually helps them do better, more creative marketing? Yeah. And I, I just think in general, you know, when you're looking at things that are new and new platforms and new channels and new ways to reach audiences, you have to remain true to your brand. I think as, as long as you are really clear on what your brand stands for, both in terms of its promise and its values, therein lies the answer to all of these things. You know, it, should we deploy tech for this? Well, does it align with our brand promise and our brand values? If yes, let's go for it. If no, let's not. Let's not do it just because it's new and it looks like fun. So for me, those kind of strategic assets are key. They're the North Stars. As long as you remain true to those, I don't think you can go far wrong. Sage advice. Yes. In your experience, because you have worked with such a breadth of companies and brands, what do you think high-performing brands do differently from the rest of the pack? That's a really good question. I think, um, one, they're truly creative. Two, they just have great... In the, what I've seen is the teams that are behind those brands are kind of 
passionate and driven and really want to do the best they can for those brands. And it makes the world of difference. You know, we, we speak to a lot of different brands and we kind of, you can almost tell really those that are going to be really successful because you meet the teams and you you think, wow, this is a really engaged team. They really want to do more. Or you just meet, actually, you can just meet a really passionate and driven CMO that's going to build a team and you think, wow, they're on a mission. <laughs> they're going to do it, you know? And you need that because you can put as much work as you want into kind of defining your brand and writing great briefs and doing all this, all this sort of stuff. It's people that drive this stuff. It really is. And, and again, I, I look to AB and Bev, and I, I talk about them a lot just because we've done a lot of work with them, but also they're just such a good example of a company that made such a step change in the way they operate as a marketing organization and the type of work that they do. So they do really high quality creative but they do it at speed, which is so impressive. And if you look at how they've responded, their World Cup campaign, literally within 24 hours, they were producing the campaign to kind of leverage the opportunities uh, that were present when you know the Qatar government decided that alcohol couldn't be uh, consumed at the World Cup. And they pivoted on that and they came up with a campaign around that. They've just been really, really good at it. So yeah. Be creative, get the get the kind of creative foundations in place and we kind of help guide a lot of that stuff. But then there's the people element, which is you yeah, have a passionate, engaged and driven team to to just power that through. And it's the combination of those two that just produces amazing results. Are there other examples of companies that you think are doing a really great job? Either they've sustained performance or they're newly able to really deliver on this creative excellence and commercial return? I think there were some that have just kind of been in the ebb and flow. It was really fantastic to see IKEA just come back this year with amazing work. And yeah, you think about IKEA, they kind of they come in and out of of kind of these creative moments and they're definitely in one at the moment. And their campaigns did really well um at Cannes this year. And also that correlated with growth in the IKEA business, which was great to see. They've kind of re you know, reestablished themselves in a number of markets around the world. So IKEA's one, Apple is an obvious one. <laughs> Apple's a really good one because it, you know, it's one of the few companies that can just really make a point of difference on product attributes. So few companies can actually create an area of differentiation purely on product attributes in the way that Apple is able to. So that that's great the way they do that. And they're, they're really good. We look at the ingredients of great work. Um, impact, does it have impact? Does it hold your attention to the end? I mean, that's key. Like so many times you see an ad and you, without even thinking, you switch off. So can it hold your attention? Insight, has it got a real insight behind it that just connects with your audience, makes them think, okay, that's challenged what I thought about this brand. I'm going to, I'm going to think again. And then craft is something that Apple does really well. Their their campaigns are so beautifully produced. You see them; they're almost like mini films. Um, they're so so well done. Emotion: you, Does it engage on a human level? Does it get some sort of emotional response um, out of you? There's another one, and I can't remember what it is. I'm going to have to come back to you. But you know, you can see what I mean. There are a number of different ingredients. Apple does really well on craft. There are others that do really well on emotion, but all of them have those ingredients within them. I think that's very informative. 
What's your top advice for CEOs right now? And I realize you do work more with CMOs, but CEO is obviously a very important stakeholder in a lot of these conversations. How might you advise them? Gosh, I mean, I just think there's so much going on in the world at the moment. I think the people that are successful to me are those that have real clarity on their purpose. And I don't mean just like corporate purpose. I mean, like what they're trying to achieve as a business and how they're going about it. The people that are successful in my mind are those that have absolute clarity on what they're aiming for and why they're doing it. So my advice would be just make sure you're very clear on that. I think that's amazing advice. Thank you so much, Spencer. I very much appreciate your time. It's been really fascinating to hear from you on this. No, I really appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity, Nita, and great to talk to you. Really good conversation. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review. We're a new podcast, so it really helps listeners find us. If you'd like more information on today's episode, check out the show notes or send us a message. 